Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Gary. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 3, Episode 22, the season finale, Nemesis. <gasps> yes. It's a really good title for this episode. I know, yeah. If we can jump ahead to the to the end of the podcast. Let's talk about the title first now. <laughs> but, yeah. It was we a good finally, one. It is. We finally have the replicators. Yay. Yay. Although there were some, as much as I did really enjoy this episode, there were a couple things where I was like, I don't, I, hmm, I'm not sure they thought that out properly. Or I have so many questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so well, it's almost like they kind of threw the replicators in the mix. Like in the writer's room, they were like, okay, you know what? The gold is done. The gold is over. We're, we're just not messing with them anymore. We need something new. We need something fresh. What can we do? Aha. Techno things. And then they just kind of like threw them in there. And I'm sure like next season they're going to figure it out. Yeah. I read somewhere that they're they're supposed to be, they're sort of like a Borg-esque kind of enemy. You know, they sort of technologically, you know, assimilate like all of those things. Like, you know, the Cybermen or the Daleks or the Borg. Like all of those kind of things. This is SG-1's version of that, if you will. Yeah. Well, shall we get to it so we can get to your questions and your, did they really, I don't know, kind of commentary? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Do it. Okay. So this originally aired on March 10th, 2000. It was written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Martin Wood. And in this episode, SG-1 faces creatures of mass destruction that even the Asgard can't control and must destroy Thor's infested vessel before the replicator bugs reach Earth. (gasps) Oh. So this episode, we open in the infirmary where Jack enters wearing civilian clothing to check on Daniel, who has just has had his appendix removed. And here's our very first fun fact for the episode. This is art imitating life because Michael Shanks actually had to have his appendix out. I wondered why he was why he was on the bench for this one. Yeah. So they decided to just like write it into the episode. And I think it, it like it works. It doesn't really feel weird or I don't know like it works for me having Daniel like laid up with an injury kind of works for me with this yeah story. yeah they did work it in pretty nicely um but it's just funny how when they do this sort of thing we as the audience usually know that there's probably a reason why they're not doing the typical the, yeah the typical formula of the show you know, like when somebody is like talked about like, oh, this person is off doing somewhere or like when a episode is conveniently just about like one person, you know, it's because they mm-hmm. gave everybody else vacation time or something. And yeah. Yeah. But they, also, they worked it out pretty well. Yeah. Also, just uh, apparently because of that, all of Michael Shanks' scenes were filmed like a week after everybody else's. Mm. Which that, which I didn't really matter just because they were so split anyway. Yeah, it seemed to work out anyway, but there you go. I have a little fun fact Yeah, for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jack's like, you know, Fraser said it'll be a week before you're up and about. And Daniel's like, I feel fine already. And Jack's like, great, want to go fishing? And Daniel's like, well, may- maybe I should stay here in the infirmary for a day or two or, or, or three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, My favorite part about this scene is the beginning, though. Like when they're just like, hi. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. How are you doing? Can I see your scar? No. No. Yeah, I know. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
but yeah but also here begins the the long-lived trope of jack trying to get his teammates to go fishing in minnesota with him Mm -hmm. so we can finally get the start of that here so keep an eye out for that coming back all the time Mm -hmm. so jack then goes to check on sam who is working on calculating the decay rate of naquita in the reactor that they've built and she's like tries to tell Jack how interesting it is because plutonium usually like does this. And he's like, no, I'm on vacation. This no, no work talk vacation. You're mm-hmm. on vacation too. Down's recuperating, tilks off world with Ryak, so you know, you should get out and like have fun. And she's like, This is fun. This is really fun. This yeah. is fun. I like doing this. Which and she she mentions that, you know, normally with her schedule, she wouldn't have time to do something like this, which Makes sense, and for what we know of Carter at this point, I I do honestly think she finds this fun. I mm-hmm. really do. Yeah. Uh, he then kind of invites her to go fishing, like you know, friends, colleagues, hanging out. That's totally something that they can do. And she's like, yeah, n- no, thanks, but no. So Jack leaves, and then after a moment, Sam kind of runs after him to tell him to have a good time, and he's like, oh yeah, sure, you betcha, and is then interrupted by being beamed away and so Jack's just gone so Sam runs over and like smacks an alarm on the wall and here's our second fun fact for the episode that random airman that's like in the in the background there that was sort of like behind Jack is I noticed director Martin Wood oh okay I did notice that there was somebody back there yes so this is also the start of his appearances sort of like Peter DeLuise does like he started just putting himself in the background of stuff so he does get a name at one point that I can't remember and I couldn't find, but he's is he like doing something weird or like, just yeah, hanging out just, back there. Just, just random dude in the background. Yeah. So nice. Yep. I look forward to picking him out more often then. Yes. So Jack then materializes inside what looks like an Asgard ship, but there's nobody there. So Jack calls out for Thor and like starts walking around trying to like figure out what's going on and where everybody is when there's this weird like mechanical sound. And then there's just this like mass of weird mechanical bugs walking down the hallway and like, what the hell is going on as we cut to the opening credits? What? Interpretive dance. Yeah. I gotta say, from like... I have, like, really major arachnophobia, so for me, the replicators, like, in this form are just, like, really extra creepy because they are so, like, spider-like. I just don't like them. I don't like them. Like, they're just creepy and gross, and I don't like them. Yeah. But it seemed interesting, though, because in the initial encounter, and they seem to be... Honestly, I don't remember if this ends up being true, but like because, you know, they become the SG, well, Earth in general, it like the huge enemy. But they their initial encounter with Jack is that they really don't bother him. Like, you, you know, he's got one crawling all over him, but they really don't bother him because he doesn't appear threatening. So do you think that was the original like MO is like, if you don't threaten them, like they're fine. It's just conflict happens obviously when you try to kill them. Yes. Yeah. I, I do think that, I think the one that crawls over him kind of is just going to be like, Hey, what's that? And because they're, they're techno bugs. And as we learn in a bit, they kind of eat technology, if you will, because Jack is not technology. The bug just kind of like, eh, whatever. And you know, 
leaves them alone. But yeah, we'll 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 see what happens when we start actually attacking them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Jack is kind of like backed up against the wall as the bugs come closer. And as we said, you know, Wong kind of climbs up onto him and he kind of like yelps and tosses it away. And they all just continue down the hall, leaving him alone. And back in the SGC, Sam and Hammond have met up and she's telling him that she's pretty sure it was an Asgard transport beam. And Hammond's like, well, I hope it was the Asgard because we know they're friendlies at least. So Hammond tells her to get a message to Tilk off world, which how do you think that works? When if Tilt goes off to like visit his, like does he take a radio with him? Do they send like a UAB to like drop like a message in a bottle? Like how? What do you imagine that you know solo team member off world and not on a mission with another team? And we need to contact them, or do they send like a random like member of SG12 to go like hey Tilt we gotta go back? I don't know. Just what, what I, do you think? I pictured radio. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so in addition to a GDO, he takes a radio when he yeah. goes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so Sam heads off to do that, and Hammond gets on the red phone and asks for Major Davis at the Pentagon. Woohoo! Major Davis! Yay! My favorite. Yay! So back up on the ship, uh, Thor finally manages to speak over the intercom and directs Jack to where he needs to go, and Jack finds Thor in this large control room of some kind and sadly thor is dying which is so sad but he doesn't have any actual you know wounds or visible visible injuries yeah i'm trying to figure out like because he says something like it's kind of because of the replicators but it's like but what did they do to him i know i wanted i really want to know because i'm trying to remember if we ever actually see the replicators like kill or injure anything versus just hearing them be like ah or you know i don't remember i mean sort of incidentally like they they don't eat organic material as far as i remember so they would never like go up and like gnaw on your leg or something right but they might like chew on a pipe that breaks and falls on you kind of a thing Mm. Oh yeah, so I don't I don't know if it's Thor got injured because of something the replicators did to something else, but not like directly by the replicators. Yeah, so once they kind of learn this person is a threat, so they conveniently like, oh, I can injure it by this. Yeah, I've learned about they can. I'm, they're, I'm... <laughs> I can shank them with something. <laughs> Just imagine, when, like, there's a chair, and when the replicators goes in, like, kind of like eats through like one part of the chair until somebody sits down they just fall over because you know, the chair <laughs> or that yeah you know one of those yeah. kind of things um so i always kind of wonder like why do the replicate i mean it makes them look more creepy and or threatening but why do they have like little wings yeah i don't know why do they need those i, I imagine maybe those are like the antenna or something i don't know and just because of what how they're they... made of that's just how they're shaped or how they move them to communicate. I don't know. Like semaphore? Like, yeah. Yes. But I don't. <laughs> and I make a gesture. And, and I'm sure this is working really great for people just listening to me. I know. I'm gesturing right now with tiny wings. Yes, with, with her hands <laughs> up by her ears, laughing like hair. <laughs> tiny replicator wings. <laughs> Which it just remind me, there, there's a thing called the semaphore frog. 
that it lives like near waterfalls and very noisy areas. So its legs have evolved to have these sort of like flag like flaps on them that it like extends out behind them when it needs to communicate to Really? Yeah. I would look this up. Semaphore yeah. frog? Semaphore frog. Semaphore frog. It. I learned about it on QI. Because that's where I learn all my fun, weird sciencey stuff. It's from QI. Semaphore frog. Semaphore frog. Mm-hmm. They're I'm cute. Looking it up. Oh, I looked it, I started to look it up and it wants me to learn about Semafredo. <laughs> Ice cream and coffee. <laughs> Let's find out if I'm actually I don't know if I'm actually looking up, but this will remind me to actually find okay. out how to spell it correctly and then look it up. Okay. <laughs> All right, proceed. Okay. Um, where, where was I? Oh, yeah. Okay, Thor is dying, and so those bugs are the enemy that the Asgard had warned us about that are worse than the Gould. He then points to some, like, stones that are on, on a nearby console and tells Jack that everything he needs to know is on them. Thor then asks Jack's forgiveness or something before basically kind of just passing out. So Jack heads over to the console and is just kind of like, I don't know what this does, but happens to move the exact right stone into the exact right spot to mm-hmm. see the pre-recorded message that Thor has left. And so this message says, Colonel Jack O'Neill, I have made these recordings for you in the event I, that I am dead or unable to pass on the necessary information. Under my command, the Beliskner was called into battle against an enemy we have named Replicators. During the battle, this ship became infested by the technology. The Replicators have accessed the computer, which contained information about your planet and plotted a course here. The crew was transported off the ship. I destroyed the outbound transporter technology to prevent the Replicators from escaping and remained in the hopes of stopping the Beliskner from reaching Earth. If you are watching this recording, then I have failed, and I, I have also likely doomed you to certain death. <gasps> Which is true. It's all his fault. It is. It it is. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Th- things things are not looking good at this mm. point for thought, the ship. We thought that they were going to be our friends, but no, Thor doomed us all. Yep. Mm. So back at the SGC, Tilk has returned and they let him know about Jack being beamed away, but they really don't know why or anything else at this point when a hologram of Jack appears. Yay. Convenient. Yay, yes. Uh, he asks for a SPAS-12, a BF-8, 10 pounds of PBX, and a USAF. And I bet you looked up what those are, didn't you? I did. Yes, you did. Yeah. Uh, so a Spaz 12 is a semi-automatic combat shotgun made by Frankie Arms. The okay. BF-8 refers to a fictional explosive device that was made by the SGC that contains Naquita. So this is like an in-universe creation. Mm-hmm. PBX stands for polymer bonded explosive and consists of a high yield explosive bonded with a synthetic polymer. Its primary uses are for military demolition and as the triggering device in nuclear warheads. Ah, okay. And a USAS-12, uh, the USAS stands for Universal Sporting Automatic Shotgun 12-Gauge, is a fully automatic 12-gauge shotgun manufactured by Daewoo Precision, Precision Industries that's used by the U.S. military. Why do you suppose he didn't just ask for, like, a nuclear warhead? Well, nuclear warheads are really dangerous even up in the atmosphere, and he probably didn't want to have to be concerned about the fallout, and also probably nuclear warheads 
would be very hard to get and take a lot of time to get. And he says, he's like, I need it in like 10 minutes. So, you know, he was probably trying to figure out like what they would have on base that would be useful. And Do they have a nuclear warhead on base? Uh, no, because it is no longer a nuclear missile silo. What kind of secret government facility is that? There has to be stuff that they conveniently told everybody they didn't have anymore. But oops, we have one. Well, they got rid of the nuclear missile so they could put the Stargate in there. Don't they say? <laughs> I mean, they have Naquita, so that's what the <laughs> that's what that's what the BF-8 is. Once that makes big boom, so. Well, fine. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So as Sam said, like that's a lot of explosives. And Jack then tells them about the replicators and the Asgard couldn't defeat them and how Thor himself is also not doing so great. And so they'll have the explosives ready in 10 minutes. And Sam is under the impression that she and Tilk will be heading up to help Jack. But he's like, no, because anyone who goes up isn't getting down. So, yeah, Jack's plan is to blow up the ship while remaining on it. Yep. So, bye. Yeah, which they don't like, but Jack, like, that's an order and it's final. Except there, there's a higher ranking officer in the room, Jack, so just hold, hold that final order mm-hmm. <laughs> comment. Also, what do you suppose he's looking at since he starts off facing the wrong direction? Um, I imagine he's, like, probably facing the pedestal thingy. And then, I, yeah, I don't know if he can see them, if it's, like, a two-way hologram thing or if he just kind of... I mean, he must see something because otherwise, how would he know to turn around? Yeah. Yeah. He must see. It must be some kind of two-way hologram type thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Jack then disconnects and Hammond tells Tilk to, like, go get all that stuff that Jack asked for and then asks Sam if, you know, if Jack's plan doesn't work, is there anything that they can do, like, from the planet? Like, can it, like, surface to ground air, surface to air missile like do anything and the problem with that is the very sophisticated the very sophisticated cloaking technology that's hiding the ship from earth's radar sensors so to which hammond replies so if we can't see it we can't target it and unfortunately the answer to that is yes Hmm. so up on the ballistner jack is following some pre-recorded instructions from thor to use the transport beam And the very end of this message includes a reminder that the energy output from the transporter beam will attract the replicators, but it looks like Jack leaves the room before he hears that. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Um, But he manages to get it working and all the stuff beams up along with Sam and Tilk. What? He's like, I told you not to come. Which makes me wonder how objects are targeted if he picked up two other mystery people. Well, it's that from what we could hear on the recording, it sounded like Thor was able to pre-program like a a certain radius probably at the base of the gate because Jack told them to leave it there uh, because I guess that specific spot had already been sort of pre-loaded into the computer as the target of where stuff will be or is to beam up so they Mm. just you know stood right next to it and were within the radius of where the beam was targeting Hmm. convenient it makes me also question later beamings of things but we'll get to that later yeah we'll get yeah we'll get to that (laughs) yeah um 
So, and they're like, well, Hammond overruled you, but don't worry. It's okay. They have a plan to get everybody off the ship. Yay! Yay! Fantastic. Uh, so they grab the supplies that they can because, like, they start to hear the replicators coming, and, and Jack's like, okay, we got to go now. So just grab what you can. We'll come back for us later. And they run down the hall, like, being chased by these replicators, and Tilk tries zatting them, but nothing happens. And then Jack starts shooting them with the rifle once, and they kind of explode apart. But then after, like, a few seconds, they kind of reassemble, and then they shoot them again. And this time they do stay apart and are killed, quote-unquote. So apparently two shots from a rifle kills a replicator. Yeah, I did notice that they never, at least on camera, they never actually ask Thor, how do you kill them? Yeah. What? (laughs) Well, apparently the Asgard can't kill them because they had to call us. That's why yeah. we were there, because they can't kill them. Like, how how do they die? And apparently the Asgard don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't have rifles. Nope. No. So they make it back to Thor's chamber, and, he sh- and Jack, you know, introduces him again, and he's like, now you will all die. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, but no, so according to Sam, the plan is that NASA is getting a shuttle ready to launch. And once they're able to send coordinates, they'll basically just sort of exit Thor's ship via like space suit and just be like grabbed by the space shuttle. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Um, but I luckily, like okay plan. I mean, it's not bad as far as, you know, plans go to get off a ship that's going to explode. Except my brain would immediately go to. So you want me to just hang out in space for a while? Haven't you seen gra- Haven't you seen Gravity? I have. Didn't yes. enjoy the whole hanging out in space for a while scenario no. of the entire movie. No, neither no. did I. No. no. So luckily, the Bliskner has an airlock, so they can like plant the explosives and then just sort of hop on out through that door. Unluckily, that won't work because the Bliskner has internal dampeners in case of like an internal explosion. So even if they explode something in one part of the ship, it'll like just keep it contained there and not like explode the whole ship. Good call. Yep. So they're like, well, then how how were you planning to destroy the ship? And Thor's just like, well, if I knew how to do that, I wouldn't have had to like call you guys. <laughs> Which is weird, right? <sighs> I'm remembering like a future episode, like like way in the future, and I don't know if I want to spoil that far ahead, just in case anybody hasn't actually seen the whole series. Mm. I'm just gonna go on record that that's weird. That there should be some some sort of self self destruct. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why is there at least no self destruct? I don't. Yeah. It's weird. It is a little weird. They just never thought of. What if we have to blow up the ship? They all just always, always, always thought of how do we not blow up ship? Yes. And there was never that guy in the room that was like, ah, but what if we have to? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They should have um, had a guy in the room. They do need that guy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so Thor then tells. Uh, like Sam about like the stones and how it contains all of the technical specs of the ship. So Sam's going to go get on that and figure out what might work. Back at the SGC, Major Davis has arrived. Yay! Yay! 
Um, unfortunately, there's there's no news, and they also haven't been able to establish any radio contact. And Major Davis is like, oh, probably the cloaking is interfering with the radio. And Hammond's like, you know a lot. And he's like, my job is to read about what you do. So, yes, mm-hmm. I know a lot. Yep. All day, yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, back with Thor and SG-1, we get a little more information, like, about like the history of these replicators, and we learn that the Asgard found them on an isolated planet in their galaxy, but whoever had made them were no longer there. So they brought them all on board a ship to study, but were soon overrun, and the replicators took over everything, also sort of learning from what the Asgard did to try and stop them, to try and, I guess, combat whatever kind of weaponry the Asgard might have tried to use against them. So... They did at some point try to destroy them, didn't work. And Thor also mentions that while they are, you know, individual beings, there seems to be some kind of like hive mind intelligence within them where they also sort of act as a whole for like one singular purpose, which is self-replication. So basically these weird like bugs just go around eating alloys and metallic things and just making more of themselves and they'll eat the ballistner to the point where the hull is like they won't breach the hull of the ballistner there will apparently know when to stop um but they'll basically destroy the ship as much as they can up to that point and so this gives sam an idea uh just like crash the ship into the earth's atmosphere and it'll all burn up to which case they also should have asked hey are they sensitive to fire <laughs> i mean that that is also very impervious to fire like that's definitely the question that i would have asked if like hey do they burn <laughs> yeah well i mean if they're metal they would melt maybe but some metals you have to get really really hot to melt so right well i mean i guess the theory would be they're technically made of the ship so therefore yes but we don't actually know no but we don't um So in order to do that plan, though, they have to get to the bridge so they can regain control of the navigational computer. Because as we learned earlier, the replicators have taken over that system of the ship. Mm -hmm. So from that little room that they're in, Sam is directing Jack and Tilk to the bridge. But like, it's not really going like there's just replicators everywhere. They're like in the walls. Thor's not doing great. And he can't even use like the medical technology on board in case the replicators have messed with it. So, yeah, th- things are not going great <laughs> for, our, for our guys at this point. Not having and a good day. No. Thor uh, on the very good, no bad, horrible day, whatever. That would, whatever. No good. <gasps> no good. Very horrible, no good, very bad. Oh, no, I used to actually remember it, and I don't right now. Crap. All right. Well, you think about it while I continue on, and well, no I'm sure it'll come up again at some point that it's a very bad day. You're probably like three episodes from now. Yeah. Um. So Jack and Tilk finally make it to the bridge and the door opens and Andrew's like, nope, because it is just like swarming with replicators just eating away at everything. <laughs> they just close the door like, nope, that's not going to happen. I love that. I love that yeah. part. Nope. Nope. Um, so they they head back to the room and Sam mentions that there's a stasis function on Thor's pod, but he won't let Sam use it because he thinks he still needs to be conscious to help them as much as he can. And then... Sam seems to have a, like, a sort of stroke of inspiration from somewhere. And she's like, well, we can't blow up the ship from the inside. Can we blow it up from the outside? And 
Thor agrees that like that should work as long as the explosion is like inside the little force field shield thing that the ship has, but that should work. So Sam suggests they put that BF-8 explosive on the deceleration drive to blow that up. So as long as they time it right with the ship sort of starting its reentry and the deceleration drive kicking in to sort of slow the speed and adjust it as needed, if they blow it up, that should mess up the reentry of the ship and then just up in flames it goes. Hmm. I mean, this, that sounds good to me. Right, except we don't know if the... If the fiery, fiery will burn them. No, but, I mean, other than that, sounds good. Yay. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, back at the SGC, Daniel has slowly made his way up to the briefing room after hearing about what's going on. And it's just like, I like I need to be here to, like, be part of this as much as I can. And Major Davis then comes in to tell Hammond that they've gone to DEFCON 3 and that the Russians are also now on, like, high alert. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if we covered this before, but I did look up some stuff about DEFCON statuses. Oh, okay. See what it is. Um, so DEFCON stands for Defense Readiness Condition. It was created by the Joint Chiefs and goes from five to one, with five being the least severe and DEFCON one being the outbreak of nuclear war. Oh, holy crap. Yeah. Uh, the DEFCON level is controlled primarily by the U.S. President and the Secretary of Defense through the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the combatant commanders. And each level defines specific like security activation and response scenarios for the personnel in question. So DEFCON 3 here, the description of DEFCON 3 is an increase in force readiness above that required for normal readiness. And the red that so what that means is that the air force should be ready to mobilize in 15 minutes. Oh, so like if we're at DEFCON three and you get called, you have 15 minutes till you like are off. What if you're peeing? <laughs> Pinch it off and go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the interesting thing with DEFCON is like different branches of the U.S. Armed Forces and different even different bases and command groups can be activated at different defense conditions. And there's also no single DEFCON status for, like, the world or even the country as a whole. Like, it can only be, DEFCON status can be set for, like, a specific region. So, like, the West Coast could be DEFCON 3, but the East Coast is still, like, DEFCON 5. Oh. Um, According to the Air and Space Museum at the Smithsonian, as of 2014, the worldwide DEFCON level has never been more severe than DEFCON 3. Um. So that's like for like for the world. Uh, DEFCON 2 status was set during the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Gulf War, but were just for specific regions and not a sort of worldwide DEFCON status. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, DEFCON 3 is, is pretty high up there as far as, yeah, severeness of that. I do keep forgetting when it comes to DEFCON levels, you know, the high versus the low. And I probably would always default to the other way around where five is the most severe. Uh, (laughs) So I would always just end up making a reference to everything being fine. uh, Yeah, no, it's kind of like golf where actually, no, it's not like golf. I think golf low numbers are good. Low numbers are bad here. I had that. I was thinking about that the wrong way. Anyway. Yeah, and no. like mock mock things, five is faster, right? So that's more intense. 
Well, well, Mach, a high number is a high speed. Right. Yeah. But Which is that's not just further. Well, I know, but I'm just, that would be further confirmation that like the bigger number is the bigger deal. Gotcha. Yeah. Therefore, I would always get that wrong and just report on everything being fine. Yep. Like, what was it? Did you did you see the new Top Gun movie yet? I did. Yeah. He was trying to, what, Mach 11 or something, wasn't yeah. it? He was trying to get? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which that is, that's very fast. Yeah. That's, that's just... too fast. <laughs> it know. is too fast. That's too fast. <laughs> I mean, literally, but also just in general, that's too fast. <laughs> <laughs> that man is in need for speed. Yes, he does. Um. Uh, anyway, so we also learn here from Andrew Davis that if the Asgard ship does manage to land, the president will then basically reveal the Stargate to 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 the world and let there's aliens and we've been dealing with them for the last three years. Um, Surprise! And, <laughs> hey, so there's aliens and yeah, they're here. Sorry. Who's the dude that's who's the alien dude on all the History Channel? Oh, that ancient aliens guy with the yeah, weird hair. They need to have him on speed dial to like <laughs> be like, you're on. You were right. Time and go. I would. I mean, if there really turned out to be aliens, I would want him to tell me. Because <laughs> he would just get on TV and be like, I was right. Damn it. They thought I was a kook. They thought I was a quack. And look at this spaceship behind me. Ha ha. It is not photoshopped. No. I wonder if he really is a government official. Maybe he works for the SGC and he's the one he's the one out there being like, aliens are real, ha 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 ha. As like a sort of double bluff to the yeah. Every time he does an interview, they're like, No, your hair isn't crazy enough, you're still believable. <laughs> Just uh, yes. I like it. I like it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the president will reveal the truth to the world, and then they'll also, like, blast the ship with everything they've got. And Daniel's like, uh, SG, SG-1 is, is on that ship. And Major Davis is like, I'm, you know, we're sure they can make it off and they'll be fine. But, you know, we haven't heard anything, so we have no idea what's going on, if SG-1 is having any success with any plans that might be going on. And then Hammond goes, let's give them a reasonable chance, Major to which Davis replies, yes, sir, I'll try to define reasonable to the Pentagon. <laughs> you can tell he's just thinking to himself, how the fuck am I going to do that? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So back up on the Belisner, luckily the replicators have not reached the airlock. So that area of the ship is still like safe and fine. And Tilk volunteers to be the one to go outside the ship because there's a whole radiation thing with, you know, being out in space from the sun and everything. So they're once again walking through the halls with Sam giving them directions on how to operate the doors. And they finally reach there and Tilk is inside the airlock and Jack tells him to say something, which, I mean, Tilk says the only thing that can be said in this situation where he says, one small step for Jaffa. Which I, oh, I love that so much. Yes. yes. The perfect thing. Yes. Love it. Way to go, Tilk. Um, Yes. Uh, from the audience perspective, we see some kind of like goo drip down from the ceiling and kind of start like burning through like the, the oxygen tank that Tilk is wearing or something. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, neither Tilk nor Jack noticed this. So off Tilk goes outside the ship. And for that cutaway, I immediately couldn't tell what what that was doing. 
Yeah, like it, it's, it wasn't it's, zoomed out enough for me to be able to tell what it was falling on. To oh, know, okay. To know that it was, oh crap, that's that. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah, I guess I can see how. Yeah, just in that shot, it's like, what is, what is that? Yeah. Because it was a very, very close-up shot, and I was like, I don't even know what that's on. And then later, you know, yeah. stuff happens. Okay. I was like, oh, that's what that was. Okay. Yeah. So we then get shots of like Jack and Sam sort of keeping watch from Tilk uh, from their various positions in the ship when Jack starts to hear the sound of replicators approaching and Jack radios Tilk to hurry up when the outer airlock door closes and Jack can't get it open. So Jack radios to Sam and she's like, I'm working on it. Uh, but unfortunately, replicators have then come through the ceiling of the airlock and we see Tilk's air tank blow outside the ship. And so Sam is trying to use the transporter technology to beam Tilk back inside, but it's not working. And it seems like the replicators have damaged the transport beam that's like on that side of the ship. And so in order for Tilk to get back inside the ship, he's going to have to like push off and get farther away from the ship. So one of the other transporter beams can pick him up. So Tilk does, but he's just moving too slowly and it's looking like he might not make it. And Sam calls out to Thor to ask if there's any way to sort of re-aim the transporter beams. But Thor just passes out and alarms start blaring. And it's it's very tense for a little bit here. But Tilk finally reaches the point where one of the other transporters can get him. And he gets beamed back inside the ship right by Jack. And yay, Jack sort of opens his helmet. But Tilk still appears to be unconscious. And we get a quick cut back to Thor and Sam as Sam runs over and puts him into the stasis in that pod that he's in. And then finally, Tilk wakes up and seems to be A-OK. So I like that he woke up slowly because a lot of times when people are in like it, you know, they do the bit where they're in an oxygen-deprived environment and then they can breathe again. They all of a sudden do like the, <gasps> you know, like they're waking up from something or like... Yeah, like getting getting oxygen after drowning or something. And that just never always seemed real to me. I like that he kind of just like wakes back up like, yeah, liked it. Very well acted. Yes, very much. So back at the SGC, still haven't heard anything from SG-1. And Norad still has not been able to find the ship via radar. And Daniel is still there looking not so great. Which Why is he standing? He should at least be sitting in a chair. Please somebody get this man a chair. Yes. And uh, Hammond suggests he goes back to the infirmary and Daniel's like, no, I should be here. He's like, no, actually, I feel like I should be out there with them. Which, reminder, fun fact, he kind of actually is because, once again, Michael Shanks is the voice of Thor. That is kind of what I had wondered, too, of why he wasn't in, you know, all the scenes is because he was doing Thor things. Well, we see later that... Like, Daniel does act with Thor, so we have, like, Michael acting with Michael at various yeah. points throughout the series. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I, w- I then wonder if that's why they made Thor injured, because even if it is just voiceover, they might not have been able to have him for as much time. So they also had to make Thor injured because Michael was injured. Oh. Maybe? I don't know. That thought just struck me right now. Thor also had his appendix out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Thor also was struck down by appendicitis. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That 
I mean, probably not, but you yeah, know. Let's just go with it. Seems Thor fun. also had appendicitis. That's what the replicators did to him. They were okay. like, we don't even know if you have an appendix, but you're going to have appendix. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So everyone is back in Thor's chamber, and Sam lets Jack know he had to put Thor into stasis. And unfortunately, they're kind of like out of options now for being able to get off the ship. And the only thing they can do is continue with the plan to blow the bomb once the ship is in the appropriate part of its descent. And Jack goes to try and contact Hammond via the hologram thingy to let them know what's going on. But even that's not working now. And then we get the sound of the replicators coming. And then we get this lovely interaction where Thor, where Tilk goes, Thor was correct. We are going to die. And Jack goes, ah, oh, come on, Tilk, lighten up. We've been in these situations before. To which Sam replies, no, sir, we haven't. And Jack goes, we haven't? No. I mean, you've been in some dire straits, but nothing nothing quite this extreme yet. Yeah, they're, they're in quite a pickle. That they are. And the ship then starts to enter Earth's atmosphere. And once again, Sam plucks an idea out of nothing. Um, but this, this is where things start to get very exciting. So... Back on Earth, the ship has now finally been spotted by NORAD and is projected to land on the west coast of the United States. So Hammond picks up a phone to call someone and suggest they go to DEFCON 2 and start sending planes or, you know, anybody and anything to intercept the ship. And Daniel doesn't like this. But again, they have no idea what's going on aboard the Blitzner. If this is SG-1 bringing the ship in for landing or if it's the replicators. They need to be prepared for worst case scenario because they just don't know. Mm-hmm. And we get uh, Jack and Tilk walking through b- the Belisconer back-, back to the cargo room as Sam's working on something at one of the consoles in Thor's chamber. Back at the SGC, the Russians have now spotted the Belisconer and want to know what's going on. And Hammond's like, that's for the Joint Chiefs to deal with. When suddenly there's a bright flash of light in the gate room and the gate is beamed away and then appears in the cargo hold of the Belisner. I love all of their faces so much when the Stargate just disappears and they're yep. all like, what the hell was that? Yeah. And love it. Davis kind of slowly hangs up the phone with, I have to call you back. And Daniel's immediately like, that was SG-1. I know what's going on. They beamed up the gates. They can gate off of the ship to another planet and then gate back to Earth. So Hammond immediately picks up the phone again, orders the beta gate to be brought to the SGC from storage immediately and set up as fast as humanly possible. So up on the Belichner, Tilk is manually dialing the gate to P3X234, which this is not a planet that has ever been previously mentioned on the show and will never be mentioned again. So we have no idea who or what is there. But according to Jack, it's apparently very nice this time of year. So fantastic. Uh, the replicators have now made their way through the wall of the cargo hold, so Jack starts blasting them, and Sam's getting Thor prepped to go with them. And then a quick cut back to the SGC as we learn that the Belisconer is still on its path, which they say is heading 196. The final chevron gets locked. Tilk yells at Jack to duck down so he doesn't get caught up in the kawoosh. And Sam beams into the cargo hold which this is one of those things where i was like i didn't think that or i i this that was one of those things where i was like how does the transport beaming technology work like i didn't think it worked from one part of the ship to another i don't know 
Well, I thought it was just you can't. They disabled beaming out of the ship. So maybe there's some sort of range. Okay. They just like disabled range beaming, but. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So, yeah, Sam appears with Thor and she just kind of like pushes the pod through the gate and all three of them get busy just blasting at the replicators because it's not quite time to blow the bomb just yet. And it's just like more replicators and more replicators and more replicators. And it's getting kind of hairy. And finally, the Belisner is at its point in three entry where they can blow the bomb. So they do. And we see it break apart as it continues to fall through the atmosphere. Back at the SGC, they're tracking what's going on. And we see on the radar that the ship is traveling like northeast, which is not heading 196. Like that's like, do, do you know how the what how the whole heading thing works? Nope, I got nothing. So it's basically just like a, like a circle, like 360 degrees, sort of like a compass with north being zero and then going mm-hmm. around clockwise. So east would be 90, like heading 90. South would be 180, 270, 360. Oh. So 196 would be like a southwest kind of direction. But mm-hmm. they're heading like northeast, which is like the complete opposite of heading 196. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. No, I know. Maybe, maybe it originally was the other one. Maybe in the crashing, turned it around, possibly. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Um, but they. You see a scene where somebody just like turns the map upside down, <laughs> and then they're like, "Oh, um, wait, a that's not." What it is. <laughs> that sounds like a spaceballs kind of shot. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, But they're finally starting to get reports of the ship breaking up in the atmosphere and that it's now predicted to crash just into the the Pacific Ocean. And we see a giant fireball crash into the ocean. And Davis says that naval teams will be heading in to take care of the wreckage. And Daniel's just sitting there looking very worried because he has no idea what has just happened. If SG-1 and his, you know, his friends, his very good dear friends, managed to make it off this ship that just crashed as a giant fireball into the ocean and Major Davis tries to assure him that they made it because, you know, that was the whole point of beaming up the gate was to get off the ship. And we close with a final shot of the wreckage like floating in the Pacific Ocean with the replicator having survived. Ah, is so, it supposed to be just the one? I don't Or, or know. just the one that we see? I don't know for mm. sure. But we get now another. Now we know, yeah. To be continued. And now we know how Russia got a Stargate. Yes. Ah, yes. 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 They have they have the original Egypt SGC gate. Which ah. we'll, we'll get to in like seven weeks, I think. Seven weeks? Yeah. Eight weeks. Well, eight weeks. We have our wrap up next week. So two months. Yeah. Two months. We will revisit this. Yeah. Per our discussion. Yeah. Which of our friends was emailing about this? Was it Mike? uh yes so now we can now we can emphasize mike's awesome of (laughs) (laughs) yes you're right sorry we didn't remember and now we do we watched it and went ah yes 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 yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your memory is a lot better than ours yep or he just watched ahead (laughs) or he spoiled it and watched ahead either way yeah 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 uh, I have a couple of fun facts sort of for like for this episode as a whole, if you want. Okay. More fun uh, facts, even more fun. 
Yes. So this episode, this episode won the Leo Award for best overall sound in a dramatic series. Oh, really? Which I mean, I mean that that sound of the replicators that that's very good really sound great. design. Yeah. Wonderful. Ever find out what make what makes that sound design? Because we never found out what the ghoul does. No. Like, okay. New listeners. Like. New listeners. If you're a new listener to the podcast, one of the things that we've been trying to figure out forever is a little squeaky noise that the gold symbiote makes. How did the sound designers make that sound? We want to know what that is. What what actually is that? But like what like what was used as foley for the little squeaky gold symbiote thing? Yeah. 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 Uh, it was also nominated for a primetime Emmy for outstanding special visual effects in a series. And this was also the first episode to be shot completely in 35 millimeter film when previously it was on 16 millimeter. And then in, I think series eight or nine, they switched to like digital, like HD digital filming. But we are now from here on out 35 millimeter filming. Oh, fun. We'll see if we can tell the difference. Yep. I really couldn't on Netflix. No. No. But again, it seems like Netflix has really crappy versions of the show, including commercial breaks cut in, even though they're not originally commercial breaks because it it aired on Showtime. So it wouldn't have the weird fade to black bits that Netflix has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Netflix uh, They got like bootleg versions. I know. It's like, did you just like go down to whoever had the syndicated versions? And just took it from their archives rather than like the original source files from MGM. That you know. I prefer to think that they bootlegged it from somewhere and then they were like, "Here we go." Here we go. <laughs> yeah. And it's still on there. And there's still no like hint of it being removed. Like we thought it was gonna be like a almost a year ago at this point. So. I know. I'm I'm still gonna maintain it sorely because of this podcast because okay. someone out there at Netflix. Yeah. Like, oh my God, people care about this. Yeah. Well, so the MGM know that they're talking about it. The MGM stuff is, looks like it's sort of slowly getting added to, like, MGM's catalog. Like, almost all of the Bond films are on there now, except for Spectre, for some reason, which is weird. But, like, every other Bond film is up there now, and a bunch of other stuff from MGM's back catalog. So, Mm -hmm. SG-1 might show back up there soon. I haven't checked recently to see if it's there yet or not. So, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll check and see if it's there yet. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, uh, memos. For this week? Uh, I mean, the only thing that really, really bugged me about this episode, bugged, <laughs> um, was really the fact that they never on camera actually asked Thor how they figured out anything they know about what would kill it. So I think that should be a memo of when encountering a new enemy. Actually, they never even really asked. What? Ask your ally how to destroy the common enemy. Yes, I like that. But actually, now that I'm thinking about it, like, they never have on camera them asking about, like, the replicators themselves at all. Except for, like, what Thor just, like, tells them. Their whole plan is, oh, crap, how do we how do we deal with this ship situation? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think they're thinking if we get rid of the ship, it will get rid, it will take care of the replicators, too. But... Don't think they should have asked. So. Yeah, but yeah, that's probably a good question to ask. Yeah. Yep. Yep. When encountering new enemy, <laughs> ask my friend how to destroy my enemy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The uh, enemy of my friend is my enemy. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. That too. 
but okay my friend is my enemy that yes that is also true yes mm-hmm. uh so shall we get into the episode title sure okay so nemesis again i think very appropriate for what happens in this the uh there's a few different definitions in the dictionary. Um, the ones that seem appropriate here or something are <clears throat> something that a person cannot conquer or achieve, uh, an, oppo- an opponent or rival whom a person cannot best or overcome. Mm. Okay. Or if you spell it with a capital N and referring to uh, classical mythology, Nemesis is the goddess of divine retribution, oh. which I just thought that was fun. <laughs> I don't think that really works here, but I just kind of like that. I was like, oh, because I don't think I, I knew that before. Hmm. I'm trying to think how that one would actually apply, but no. No. It doesn't, it's not applicable. It's just fun. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's finally like all of their meddling in the Gould. They got something worse. Mm, possibly. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yep. Um, foreign territories, um, only Spanish has a different one. Everybody was just basically nemesis in their language, except for Spanish speaking territories got the title fair punishment. Oh, well, that goes along with the nemesis nemesis. Kind of does a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do we think of this episode overall? Overall, I thought it was really good. Although, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of like, Hey, we need a new, like I said at the beginning of the show, hey, we need a new enemy. We need something fresh. We need something cool. And then they just kind of like came up with the idea and then they're going to like flesh it out later. Yeah. So which which begged said questions I had during yeah. the episode. But overall, I thought it was a pretty good introduction. Yeah, me too. I, I also do kind of like that we don't know a lot about them at the beginning. We kind of learn more about them later. Mm-hmm. We learn a lot about them later. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they go on for quite some time. How many seasons? I mean, they go to, like, season nine. Yeah. Like Or eight. Eight. They go to eight, because then nine is when we get the Ori. But, yeah. They make it all the way to, like, season eight. Yeah. So, yeah. They're they're kind of the, the big bad after the Gould have kind of been neutered at this point, if you will. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we, don't, we don't care about them anymore. They're not, they don't have quite as much shock value. No, not so much. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I like them. They're interesting. Yes. Yep. We'll find out maybe why they have wing things. <laughs> maybe at some point, yes. Do we ever actually see them replicate? Yes. Yes, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't remember, so that'll be fun. No, I mean, not often, but there are a few times where it's like, oh, that's how they do it. Okay. <laughs> Like the nature channel for the replicators. <laughs> Here we see the replicator <laughs> in its native habitat doing what he does best, best self-replicating. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We're definitely going to have to do that at the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, will, I will make a mental note to remember. We might get that in 401, maybe. Okay. We might, yeah. Work yeah. on your Australian accent for that. Oh, so you I can do it. Steve Irwin like. I can't do Australian. All right, I'll work on mine. I can, I can do New Zealand, kind of. I can say one word. Okay. <laughs> Is it beer? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> what is that? Shed. The New Zealand accent is oh. shid. 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 Oh, I have a. <laughs> so, 
um, this is actually more of a New Zealand story than a um, than an Australian story. But um, in you know what is it, Korg from the from the Thor movies? How yeah. he is voiced by the I like a way have ab- yes, I have love no him. idea how to actually pronounce his name, but I love his directing. So. He's a New Zealander and does like the or New Zealander um, accent for the character, right? And so I just yeah. love how his character always starts with like, hey, man, we're going to get on the ship and we're going to get out of here. You want to come? And like, <laughs> yeah. so that's just something that like I say all the time, just like picked it up. And then I was watching a show and it was just some other random like New Zealand movie. And the character on the TV was just like, hey, man. I'm going to go get some spot plugs. You want to come in? Like, I was like, oh, my God, they really do say it, like, all the time. It's not just a running yeah. joke. Like, it's something yeah. they say. Yeah. Uh, I do. I do enjoy pretty much everything Taika Waititi has done. Yeah. I haven't watched all of his stuff, but I've watched a lot of it. Yes. So, which, if you have not watched Our Flag Means Death, oh, my God, go watch Our Flag Means Death. It's so good. I need to watch that. I have good. not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, man. we're gonna go watch a show you want to come <laughs> but um so the the, the shit thing uh <laughs> comes from taskmaster <laughs> um season nine rose matafeo so taskmaster is a uk show but rose matafeo she's a new zealand comedian who she does the show starstruck if you say i think it's on hbo here in the u.s um but one of the prize tasks the show starts off with a prize task where everybody brings in a prize and whoever wins the episode wins all of the prizes that all the contestants have brought in um and the prize category was the best thing to find in your shed and according to rose in new zealand in your shed everybody like has a poster of all the native fish of new zealand and the way she said (laughs) shed greg like would not let it go and he was like i'm sorry in your what she's like in my shed and he's like your what she's like fine in my shed (laughs) (laughs) Anytime I might have to say the word shed, I can now uh, only say shid. 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 Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But also, New Zealand now has their own Taskmaster, and it is Taskmaster New Zealand Season 2 might be the greatest season of any and all Taskmasters. It's so good. I'm obsessed. Find it on YouTube somewhere. It's out there. But... Yeah. All right. Well, work on your New Zealand accent. Okay. We'll see, just... we'll see how far we both can get with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. We can. We can yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll try our best. <laughs> nope. You got terrible. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you everybody for listening this week. As always, you can find us on Twitter at sg underscore rewatch. Or send us an email at woo, that's W-O-O-S-G, rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. Oh, and for anybody out there that might be interested, Rachel and I are going to be on another podcast next week. We will be guesting on the Karate Kid Minute, talking about the next Karate Kid with Hillary Swank four minutes at a time. Uh, we'll tweet the links out when those episodes go live. So just keep an eye on our Twitter and tune in and hear us talking about something that's not Stargate related. But it's related to us. It's related to us. Yeah. And next time we will see you for our season three wrap up. Bye. Bye.